My little girl, Missy, is from Haiti. I got to adopt her in April of 2014, started the process in 2012. And I had a feeling that as a single Southern woman adopting a little girl from Haiti, we might run into a, a teensy bit of, of prejudice because I think Missy and I look exactly alike, but we, we differ when it comes to hair texture. I have straight, chemically dependent hair. Missy's hair is gorgeous, uh, black, curly hair. And so I thought, you know what, I'm gonna study everything about hair that I possibly can, because in the South, there tend to be a lot of people who um, have strong opinions about people who have straight hair not hooking up with people who have curly hair. So um, so I did a lot of study about straight-headed people and curly-headed people getting together, being in the same family. Um, I went to my pastor and to counseling about this. Um, I ordered the Chris Rock special on hair. I did everything I could to kind of prepare myself. And honestly, the first couple of times we got a comment that was less than kind about me being the mama of this amazing Haitian little girl, it didn't bother me. Kind of rolled off me just like water off a duck's back. That is until somebody said something less than kind directly to Missy. We were in the Nashville airport and there was this area, they, they don't have it anymore, but there used to be this airport in the Southwest Wing where kids could play, almost like a McDonald's play area. And I was so stinking excited that as old as I am, that I get to be the mom of this little girl that I had to get the huge iPhone that has all the memory because I'm constantly taking video of Missy because I think when she's president, you know, the History Channel is gonna want all this footage. So I had my phone, I'm outside this play area, Missy's running around playing, and it's mostly you know the small things, like at McDonald's for kids maybe, I don't know, six and under, something like that. So I'm videoing Missy, and I hear the culprit before they get to me, because I can hear this woman, and she is just causing a, a, all kinds of problems coming down the airport corridor, because she is cussing like crazy into her cell phone. And I, I look over my shoulder, because I don't think people should use vulgar language around little kids. And so I think they deserve a Christian dirty look. And so I kind of look over my shoulder like, could you please tone down your language because there's little kids here. When I turn over and I look at this woman, um, she's wearing, um, let's just say, a very, very small shirt. Um, I was like, oh my goodness, the girls are about to come out and play. And she has two kids on either side of her. Now they're older than Missy and they look mad. And I don't know if they were mad because their mother was wearing such a small strip of spandex in public or just because she'd yelled at them before she started yelling at whoever was on the other end of her cell phone, but the, the whole little family looks furious. And I thought, oh, I hope those kids don't go play on the kids' area where Missy is because I smell trouble. And they were too old. I thought, surely they won't, but they did. They run right past me and these two kids, much, much bigger, probably 10 and 11, they run onto where Missy had been playing by herself. And I started to go grab her and pull her off, but I thought, no, I do not want to put fear where my little girl doesn't have fear. I thought, no, I want her to be a strong woman. I want her to have painted fingernails and carry a sword. So I'm not going to act like she can't take care of herself. She took care of herself with 62 kids in an orphanage in Haiti. She can take care of herself with these two redneck bullies. Well, I, I'm watching them, you know, my, my antenna is on high alert. I'd put my cell phone away just to kind of be alert, see what was going on. I hadn't snatched her off, but Mama Bear has come out. 
And after three or four minutes, sure enough, uh, trouble broke out because Missy had slid down the slide and I watched the thought cross her countenance. She didn't say anything, but I watched the thought cross my kid's face of, why should I go all the way around and wait in line to slide again when I could just turn around and run right up the ramp and do it all over again? Not realizing that trashy mama's daughter who was standing at the top of the slide would think that she had, she had cut in line. So my little girl runs up to the top of the ramp and when she does, this 11-year-old or so little girl whose mama is still over there cussing to her cell phone, she takes Missy by the shoulders and shoves her as hard as she can. And then she says to my little girl, this 11-year-old, Missy was six at the time, she pointed at Missy and she said, you are B-L-A-C-K, black. And y'all, she didn't say it like it was an observation. She said it like it was condemnation. And I mean, every head in the gate area swiveled to look at me because of course they had all figured out that this straight-headed mama was with that curly-headed kid. And when that 11-year-old girl looked around and realized Uh uh-oh, she assumed Missy didn't have a parental figure nearby because she didn't see anybody with curly hair. When she saw everybody look at me, you could tell she went, "Uh uh-oh, biggins with littlin'. I mean, she just kind of panicked. She looked at me, eyes as big as saucers, and I met her eyes. And then I pointed at that little brat, and I said this, I'm going to cut you. No, I didn't really, I didn't really say I was gonna cut her. I wanted to say I was gonna cut her. Really, the person I wanted to cut was her mama. Because I'm like, oh, I'm so sure. You know, bullies are not born, bullies are made. Somewhere along the way, some adult had taught that precious little image bearer of God that some people groups are worth less than others because of their country or their ethnicity or their accent or their financial background. So somebody had handed that little girl a weapon of mass destruction, a hierarchy through which to judge people. And I thought, I'm actually not mad at this little girl. I'm ticked at her mother. Of course, the mother's missed the whole thing. She's still cussing into her cell phone. So I turned to walk toward her mother. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I'm not really that confrontive. I've had to go to therapy to be confrontive. But I thought, I'm going to say something to her mother. I turned toward her mother. And when I did, y'all, the Holy Spirit just snatched me up by the back of the neck. Have you ever been headed toward what you thought was a righteous hissy fit and God just stops you in your tracks? In that moment, he didn't say it out loud. I've never heard an audible voice from God, but he said it so loud in my spirit, it may as well have been audible. He said, Lisa, if only you would put more passion into defending the gospel that you do in defending your daughter. And I was just like, because <laughs> in that moment it was true. I was more passionate about defending my little girl than I was defending the savior of my soul. I'm so encouraged when I read the book of Acts, our ancestors, no matter what denominational background you come from, all of us can trace our spiritual DNA back to Acts because Acts records the early church. That is our very first Christ followers. This is the first organized church. And y'all, they were so passionate. I mean, these people were radical. They were living in the first century. If you didn't take mental field trips in high school history, you'll remember that Nero was one of the leaders at that time. Nero hated 
Christians. As a matter of fact, he would send out his soldiers to round up Christ's followers. Then he would have them coated in tar, impaled on stakes, and he lit them on fire because he wanted to kill this pervasive idea that there was a God who's greater than him. He wanted uh, people to practice emperor worship, to say that Nero was the God. And these Christians were just stubborn. They said, no, Jesus Jesus is God, so he had them routinely killed. So it wasn't an easy time to be a Christ follower. I mean, their their kids are getting beaten up on the way home from school. Their businesses are being ransacked, but these people are radically passionate about running hard toward Jesus, no matter the personal cost. In Acts chapter 17, there's this story, and I love this story. I hope to look like this story one day says Acts chapter 17. And by the way, Luke wrote the gospel according to Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. He's the only Gentile writer in uh, Holy Writ. So we've got 66 canonized books and the only two we know for sure who are written by a non-Jew are written by Luke. So Luke knew what it felt like to be an outsider. Those of you who go, I don't know the language, I don't know how to pronounce the books in scripture, you are not alone. Luke was an outsider that God said, I'm gonna use you to pen this redemptive narrative. And he wrote those two books together. He wrote wrote the Gospel according to Luke and he wrote the Acts of the Apostles as the same literary document. When they canonized scripture, they stuck John in between the two. But if you will read them together, it's really cool. It's kind of like Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back. So we've got Acts. Again, this is right after Jesus has been resurrected from the cross, from bodily death. He has risen again. And then after about a month and a half, he ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father. So this is the aftermath of that. These crazy radical Christians who are going, running toward Jesus is is the most important thing in my life, even if it costs me my life. Here's a story I love in Acts about these passionate Christians. Acts chapter 17, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath or Shabbat, if y'all come from a Jewish background days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying this Jesus. Now, the reason he says this Jesus is Jesus was a really, really common name. It meant my Jehovah is coming. It's the name we hear today all over the place. Jose, Salvadore, that comes from the name Jesus. It's a Greek transliteration of Joshua, of the Hebrew name for Jesus, means my my Savior is coming, my Redeemer is coming. So tons of mamas name their little boys Jesus. That's why Paul says this Jesus He's not like all the other little Jesus running around. This Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one. This is actually the first time you put his title with his name. This Jesus, who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason. These are people who are supporting these early Christ followers. They they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These men 
who've turned the world upside down. Wouldn't it be cool if you and I were accused of causing people around us to be uncomfortable for the sake of Christ? Not because we're being unkind, but because we love so hard, because we're not concerned about our reputation, because we are radically in love with Jesus. I love Dr. Martin Luther King. I love his teachings. I love the story of his life. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a great man. And one of my favorite things that Dr. King said was that church, Christ followers, we used to be a thermostat. We literally changed the temperature of culture. That's how we led. Um, he said, however, all too often now, we are a thermometer. We just take the temperature of culture. We don't change it. I don't know about you, but I wanna be a thermostat. I wanna change culture. I want people to watch my life, watch Missy's life and go, those women are different. I mean, they're kind of actually turning my idea of who God is upside down because they're not religious, but they are radically in love with Jesus. Uh, I was in Haiti recently, and I was teaching at this really small women's event. There were just about 90 women in the room. It was over 90 degrees. And I was teaching a real simple message because I was teaching with an interpreter because I don't speak Creole very well. And I was toward the end of the message, and the guy who was interpreting for me, he kind of grinned because right toward the end of my message, this woman just stood up on the front row. And she said, in Creole, she said, I need a miracle. I've been talking about the miracle of being radically in love with Jesus. She said, I need a miracle. And I kind of looked at him and he looked to me and I said, I, I'm not done yet. You know, I've got a really good closing story. And he kind of laughed and he goes, well, she said she needs a miracle. And I said, well, I thought that's what she said. I said, okay, okay. Um, tell them to chat amongst themselves and ask her what kind of miracle she needs. So he asked her in Creole and she turns to me and she stands up um, and unwraps this filthy scar from around her left knee. And she just kind of gestures to her knee. And y'all, her knee was swollen up like, I mean, like a cantaloupe. It was awful. It was horrifically infected. And I was like, yep, yep, yep. She needs a miracle. She needs like a huge miracle. And I was like, okay, okay, all right. Um, um, tell her to hang on just a second. And I remember that over by where I'd been sitting, I left a little vial of peppermint oil because um, the smells in Haiti can kind of overwhelm you if you're from a first world country. They don't have... In Missy's village, they, they have very little uh, indoor plumbing, a lot of open latrines, they burn their trash, it's hot, so the smell can kind of knock you over. So I've learned in the years I've been going to Haiti just to dab peppermint oil under my nose when I'm there and it keeps me from, from kind of being overwhelmed. And so I thought, I'll grab that peppermint oil and I'll come over and I'll slather that on her knee because it also stings a little bit. So it'll be like, you know, like something's going on and, and then it'll kind of cover up the smell of the infection. And so I bring the peppermint oil, I squat down beside this woman, I start rubbing peppermint oil on her knee, and y'all, I'm praying with all the faith I can bring to bear in the situation. I do believe that God heals physically still today. I don't understand how and why and when, but I do believe he brings physical healing. But what I was really praying for this woman is, Lord Jesus, just keep her from losing her leg before the next mission group comes in because the next mission group is gonna have a nurse or a doctor and they'll have antibiotics. And I'm just a layman, I don't know much, but what I can tell from her knee is it's likely she's gonna lose it. I mean, I've never seen anything this horribly infected. Well, I'm praying, I'm praying in the name of Jesus. That's what I'm thinking. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, crud. 
because in my enthusiasm praying for this woman, I'd been squeezing her knee. And I thought, oh goodness gracious, I have exacerbated her injury because I could feel the fluid going north and south. So I opened my eyes just to see what kind of damage I've done. And when I opened my eyes, and y'all, this never happened to me before. I opened my eyes and her knee, which I had been about that big around and grotesquely infected, had gone all the way back down to normal and was no longer infected. Now, I'm from a really conservative theological background. I'm usually not around anything that, that fantastical. I tend to be more of a realist. And so when I saw that God had healed her knee, I was just like, oh, no stinking way. Well, this woman says, calm as a cucumber. This Haitian woman says, I have no more pain. And me, the Bible teacher with a wall full of commentaries at home, I responded like this, I mean, I was just like, no way, no way. I mean, I just had a conniption fit. And after a while, after I finished just kind of dancing around like I had, you know, been holding the hot potato, God said through his spirit, Lisa, the reason she is calm is because she expected the miracle. She is so in love with me and so focused on me, so radically committed to me that she believes big. And he said, honey, you need to raise the bar. You need to raise the bar. Y'all, as passionate followers of Jesus Christ, don't you wanna see miracles? Don't you wanna see Him bigger? Don't you wanna turn the world upside down? Because He has changed our hearts from the inside out. I do. I wanna be a thermostat. 